Well, hello, everybody. We are on, for sure. <laughs> well, welcome. If we've never met, my name is Vaughan, and uh, it's so good to be, as Simon says, be able to share God's word with you this morning, that we can be together, whether we're online or whether we're in the building. Just so incredible that we are able to sit under the God's, God's word. And, you know, Marlene, I must say, just watching you worship in the front, I just had to think to myself, there's somebody that is older and matured and still loving Jesus. I'm still wanting Jesus to refine uh, your life. And I think uh, it's, a, it's a great thing for every single one of us. It doesn't matter how long we have known Jesus. We should have a heart that's always wanting to be changed by him. We're in a series, and uh, it's a series in Malachi, one of the minor prophets. And we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks that God is confronting apathy that is present in the hearts of his people. Because it's present in the hearts of his people, it's, it's evident in the lifestyles of his people. And so uh, God is confronting that apathy. I had a look at what the what a dictionary definition for apathy is. It says this, a lack of interest, a lack of enthusiasm, a lack of concern for. The fact that God's people had a lack of enthusiasm and a lack of interest and a concern for him was concerning to God. And so we see that God in Malachi comes to speak to his people. But he doesn't come just with like this iron rod uh, to, to bring them into line. The opening words of Malachi say this. He came because he loved them. I have loved you, he says. And so today God is uh, coming to us as well. And he's drawing near because he loves us, and because if there's apathy in our lives, he wants to be able to change that today too. So he's a God who draws near because he, he, he wants relationship with us, but he also wants to correct us. And so this morning, may, may our hearts be ones that are open to God changing it, because that's a good thing. I had to ask myself the question, how is it that, uh, how is it that these people who had known God's hand in their lives, the nation of Israel, how is it that a people who had been loved by God and rescued by God can find themselves in a place of apathy? How is it that these people um, that had been loved by God and rescued by God um, would, would forget the mighty hand of God that had delivered them on so many occasions? They had seen him move time and time again and yet they find themselves in a place of apathy. How is it that a people who have been given promises, not by a government leader, but by God himself, and as a result of those promises have a future, a definite hope in their future, how could they become apathetic? Well, the passage that we're going to look at today is going to help us to understand how they could become apathetic, and it's also going to help us to understand how we can, can not fall into that same trap. So in Malachi chapter 3, and Sarah Edworthy uh, is going to read the text for us, so take a look at the screens. Today's reading is from Malachi 3 verse 13 to 4 verse 5. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord, yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said, it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. 
Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in the presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will see again the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left of them. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Here ends the reading. Thank you, Sarah. Well, we're going to look at this text today under two, two headings. But as I said earlier on, God is wanting to draw near to us in love. And he's wanting to draw near to us um, to, to correct any apathy in our lives. That's for us as Christ followers. But God has got something specific to say to some of you who may be tuning in today. And you've never made a commitment to Jesus. And so... Uh, wait for that a little bit later so the two headings that i'm going to be looking at this passage at today is what leads to apathy that's the first one and what crushes apathy first one what leads to apathy this people the israel nation of israel had the incredible promises of god and it was good promises for hope and a future an incredible future and an incredible hope but they were living in a season where those promises had not yet come to pass and so they have returned from exile, they're back in Jerusalem, they've been there for a hundred years. And it's not the Jerusalem they were expecting. It's not the Jerusalem like the Jerusalem under the days of King David or King Solomon. Nor is it a Jerusalem where they as a people are feeling particularly blessed. They remembered the, pro the promises of God to Abraham that he would cause him to be a great nation, that he would bless them. But as they looked at their circumstances right now, it wasn't looking so blessed. In fact, um, as a nation, they were going through a really difficult time and life was hard. The crops were minimal because locusts had pr pretty much destroyed the crops. And so they were in despair and they were disillusioned. That's what was happening externally. Those were the circumstances that were coming at them in their life on that, at that point in time. But what was probably worse for them, or definitely worse for them, was what was going on inside of their heart how they were processing these circumstances and what they were thinking as they processed those circumstances is where apathy began for them. Malachi 3 verse 13 to 15 says this, you've spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord, yet you ask, what have we said against you? And this is what they said, you have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, 
And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. They're looking at their circumstances. They're thinking about the promises of God. And as they're thinking about those promises, they're thinking to themselves, they're coming to the clear conclusion it's worthless serving God. It's futile. There's no gain in being obedient to God because there's no reward. Sometimes we think when we're obedient to God, there just has to be a reward immediately. Well, when we read the story, we see that's not necessarily the case. So they're thinking there's no gain for our obedience. There's no reward for our obedience. In fact, they're looking at evildoers, and they're coming to the conclusion that these evildoers are prospering. They're testing God, and yet they are prospering. God's doing nothing about it. But they are wrong. It's not the first time that we see Israel uh, feeling like this towards God. It happens regularly in their journey. Psalm 73 verse 12 says this, Behold, these are the wicked. And this is how they, des they describe the wicked. They're always at ease. They increase in riches. Life is going so easily for them. And then the futile thought, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Isaiah 40 verse 27, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Have you ever been in that place? Does it feel like God has deserted you? Does it feel like God is not hearing? Have you even thought to yourself that it's futile to serve God? Have you even voiced that thought? Can I tell you something? I have done that. I voiced that thought. When there's delay in what I believe God has promised uh, to, to me and it's not happening quick enough or I'm going through a difficult season, it's so possible for our hearts, because we are human, to drift towards a thinking or a hard attitude that says it's not worthwhile serving, serving God. Things like this go through our heads. It's taking so long. It's not taking so long for that guy, but it's taking so long for me. And all I'm doing is praying and fasting and doing everything right, and nothing is coming our way. And then I look at that guy, and he is as wicked as they come, an evildoer, arrogant, and he's driving this fancy car, and I'm driving a skadonk. And I'm working my butt off with a good attitude towards my boss, and yet they're getting a promotion and I'm barely getting an increase. And that person, that person has um, got somebody all the time, and they're even getting married to people, and I am not meeting anyone. God, I think it's futile serving you. It's futile praying. It's futile continuing to trust in your promises. It's not worth it. They kind of, as a people, Israel took on an attitude of whatever. Who cares? It's not worth it, serving God. But in the midst of that attitude, they were actually questioning God's character. They were actually putting a question mark next to God's character and saying, I wonder if God really loves me. I wonder if God really is a promise keeper. And the problem is, when we do that, it's not long before we drift into apathy, and it's not long before apathy takes us into a road of sinfulness. And God doesn't want that for his people. And so he speaks to his people because he knows we do take strain. He gets it. He knows that his promises don't arrive like this, and that sometimes causes us some heartache, but he knows that his ways are perfect. His ways are higher than our ways, better than our ways. So that's uh, some of the people in Israel, but there was a group of people in Israel that were not taking on the same attitude. 
was a group of people in Israel, God's people, who were prepared to say, I'm not going into apathy. I'm not going to go be apathetic in my worship of God. I'm going to keep my eyes on him. I'm going to believe him. I'm going to read his promises. I'm going to apply it to my heart. I am going to trust him because he's a faithful God. I've seen how he was provided in the past. I see how he has rescued in the past. And there's no reason why his character would have changed now. And so they were a group of people facing the same circumstances. Maybe they even felt disillusionment and a little bit of despair. But they did not allow their hearts to go to a place where they were apathetic in their worship towards God. And that really brings me to my second he heading. How did they choose a way that wasn't apathy? What crushed apathy for them? Well, we crush apathy when we revere God. That's what Malachi 3 verse 16 says. Malachi 3 verse 16, we see these people that those who feared the Lord talked with each other. And the Lord listened and heard the scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They feared him. Wasn't this like shaking kind of fear, like that kind of fear? It was a reverential fear. Like this is God. And this God loves me and has rescued me. And I need to, I need to see him through, through the right lens. I need to see him with the right heart because he's a good God. That they revered him and there was a reverence for him. It wasn't a shaking kind of fear, but it was a reverential fear. They continued to look on that God with awe. That's another way of saying reverence. That God was still a God that carried awe in their hearts rather than disappointment. What did these people who feared God do? They talked to each other. They spent time talking to each other. I think about the goodness of God, encouraging each other to trust God, to believe God for his promises. It's a little bit of what, what the Bible encourages us to do as we await Jesus' second return. It says in Hebrews 10 verse 25, to not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but to encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This last year has meant that we have had to encourage each other had to shoulder some things together, be in each other's spaces as much as what we could, even if it was just via a screen, to encourage each other in the things of God. Because what the enemy would want to do is take us away from the things of God. And God doesn't want that. I love what it says here in Malachi. It says that as they were talking, God was listening. God's always listening. God's always listening and God is also always watching. Second Chronicles 16 verse 9 says this, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is always listening. He's always watching. And his eyes are looking for those who in the difficult times and the good times are fully committed to him. Have their eyes on him. Will not throw him out with the bath water. But will keep their, their, their eyes fixed on, on Jesus. And so he's listening. And it says something else in Malachi that's amazing. It says that he remembers what he hears them say. He remembers and he puts their, their names on a scroll in heaven. God's seeing all that you're saying. He's seeing, he, he, he's watching uh, what's going on and he's remembering how you're responding to every single circumstance in your life. So they talked to each other, but it says that they talked in a certain way says that uh, they spoke in a way where they honored God's name. 
For me, that means that they, they spoke about his faithfulness, his provision, his rescue over the, uh, over the centuries. They reminded them each other about what God had promised. And they weren't prepared to become apathetic in their worship. And when I talk about worship here, what I'm meaning is not our singing. I'm meaning our whole lives being worship to Jesus. And so when they spoke, it wasn't, it's futile to serve God. When they spoke, it was serving God is the best thing that we can do with our lives. In fact, we're crazy if we're not going to serve God. How could we not serve this God who is for us and not against us? How could we do that? No. So they talked and honored his name. I want to ask you a question, though. Who are you talking to and what is your speech like? Are you speaking to other believers? What is your speech like with them? Who are you listening to and what is their speech like? Is the conversation that you're having honoring of his name? We have to ask ourselves those questions. So what these people were essentially doing is they were closing and narrowing the gap. Narrowing the gap between what they were experiencing and what they're believing and trusting God for. And so they weren't prepared to turn away from God. In fact, they actually chose to turn to God. They moved towards Him. When we honor God, when we trust Him, when we remember Him, what we're doing is we're choosing to move towards Him. Worship, as I said just now, is not just singing. Worship is moving towards God in every season of our life, good and bad. Moving towards God. Can I tell you something? If we drift into apathy, the opposite will happen. We will move away from God. We will worship Him less. We will worship Him less in song. We will worship Him less with our lifestyle. We will worship Him less with what He's given us. We will worship Him less. If apathy sets in. And God doesn't want that for us. So they're closing the gap. So first way that they crush apathy is to revere or fear God. The second thing that I see in this passage is that they reflect on truth. So the people are believing a lie. They're believing that it's better to not follow God because actually you get more stuff. They're believing a lie. And sometimes you and I can believe what we want to believe. We want to just do that. All we want to do is believe what we want to believe, even if it's 100% wrong. So I've had difficult times in my life, and in those seasons, it's always great to have a wife that is going to encourage you. And so uh, she encourages me. And uh, she tries to help me to see perspective. Um, she does that just in her own. And then when I'm not really listening to the fact that she's uh, wanting to, uh, that she's encouraging me, she'll go a little bit more heavy-handed and say, this is what the Bible says, Vaughan. Um, this is what the Bible says about you, so you better take hold of it. And there are times when I want nothing to do with it. I want to stay in my pity party, and I want to wallow in my sorrow. But actually, those have been the most terrible seasons in my life. Why? Because the word of God, truth, is right here. It's accessible. I can take hold of it. And yet I'm not allowing God to direct my heart to truth. That's all he's wanting to do. Direct my heart to truth. So that I don't say silly things like it's futile to serve God. So God wants to direct our hearts to truth. Yours and mine, in every season, particularly when we're going through a difficult time. How does he do that? He does it when we reflect on truth. When we take time to reflect on truth, God will direct our hearts to truth. 
how did God direct these people's hearts to truth? Well, Malachi 3 verse 17 says this, On the day when I act, says the Lord, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son and serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. He, he takes the attention to the bigger picture. They're focusing on the, on the current circumstance and he's giving them perspective. And he says, listen, there's a day coming. There's a day coming and I want you to see it clearly. I want you to get hold of these truths because it's going to help you right now in your circumstance. And the truths are this. There's going to be a day when God is going to act. On that day, the righteous, those who keep their eyes on Jesus, who have asked Jesus to come into their, their hearts and forgive their sin, sin, will know, will know what? The compassion of a loving heavenly father. Why? Because they are his treasure. What will he do? God will spare them. Show them compassion. He'll spare them because they are his treasure. And then he says there will be a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between those who serve God and don't. On that day, there's going to be a clear distinction between the righteous and the wicked. What is he saying? Listen, don't get all caught up in what you're seeing happening in the wicked's lives right now. There's another day when it's going to look completely different. And, uh, and that's going to be a good day for you who love me and serve me. What is that clear and definite distinction? Well, Malachi 4 verse 1 to 3 tells us, Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogance and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. There will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. If, you're, if you were here for week one, you would have heard Duncan speak about a fire in Malachi chapter 3. That fire was a refining fire. The fire that we're reading about here is not a refining fire. Fire that we're reading about here is a consuming fire of judgment. And God highlights for us the distinction between the righteous and the evildoer when that fire comes. And he says that the evildoer will be consumed like stubble. I mean, it goes so far as to say there won't be any branches or roots. I mean, that is a serious fire. That's serious. Conversely, the righteous, the Bible says, will enjoy God's healing. They will go out, enjoy like calves that have been fed in a barn, and then leave that barn and begin to frolic, the Bible says. I don't completely get that term, but it sounds kind of, uh, kind of cool. Um, but maybe to illustrate it, the joy that we will have, let me uh, tell you a story. I am a Joe Burger through and through. I'm not a, a farm person. I don't really enjoy it. The smells don't do it for me, um, nor do the, the, the animals. But we've got some family down in the Natal Midlands. And so when we went down there one year, they've got friends who are cattle farmers. And they said, hey, listen, don't you want to bring your kids to come and watch the cattle getting branded and inoculated and, and the ears marked and everything else that goes on with that? So we thought, okay, this will be a good experience. It might be the only time the kids are going to get a chance to see it. So off we go to the farm. And uh, the, the, the cattle start off in this big area, open field. 
And then the shepherd directs them into this closed-in fenced area. And uh, it's kind of big initially, but the, but, but, but the cattle are really close to each, to, to each other, rubbing shoulders. And then they're led and fed into this passage, kind of like a corridor with a fence on each side and only one cattle can go through at a time. It's kind of like single, single file behind each other. Can I tell you something? It's a messy business. I kid you not. There is poo everywhere. There is we everywhere. These cattle are not looking forward to that, the, the, the end of this road. I mean, the cow behind the one in front is just covered. It's disgusting. I told you I don't like the smells of farm. It was disgusting. But anyway, they get to the end. Everything happens. And they, they, they head out of this passage. And these cattle that have just gone through such a difficult stretch of road run off leaping you would thought to think like this is too sore i'm just going to get out of here no they run off leaping with joy in their step that's the picture that god's creating for us the picture that god is creating for us when he says that is that we might face uncertain times this side of eternity we might go through some battles uh for some people that battle might be a 70 year long battle i don't know for some people, that might be a shorter period of five years as they face some or other um, sickness. But there's one thing that is certain is that when you get to the end of the road and we take our last breath, there's a certainty that awaits those who have put their faith in Jesus. He has gone before us to prepare a place for us. And in that place, there is no more tears, no more crying, no more sickness. All the things that break our heart here, will happen, we will never have there. Can I tell you? When we look and we think, shish, so nice to drive a nice car rather than a skadonk. Sure, we downplay. We downplay exactly what Jesus has done for us. I wonder how our processing of our circumstances today would change if all we had to do was allow God to direct our hearts to truth. What would happen today if the only truth that we allowed our hearts to be directed to was what Jesus has done for us? When that day comes, because on that day, there's going to be a clear distinction between the righteous and the wicked. It's going to be a clear distinction. It's going to be all because of what Jesus has done, that we will be able to enter heaven with joy in our step, with courage in our hearts and life forevermore we'll, we'll, is going to be fantastic. Amen. So what are you believing in your season right now, whatever your season is, what are you believing about God? Are you allowing God to direct your heart to truth? Are you opening truth? When last did you open your Bible to have your heart directed to truth and courage and hope and trust in God again? Are you allowing God to direct your heart to truth by sitting under the word like you're doing right now in a gathering or in a group online or in person? Are you taking time to talk about God's truth, to honor him, to remember? Because I want to see myself get to the end of the road, and I want to see you to get to the end of the road with courage and trust in God. And that is, that's what he's wanting for us too. So what are you believing? And are you applying truth to your circumstance right now? Because God is wanting us not to be apathetic when it comes to him directing our heart towards truth. Because he was wanting his truth to shape every season of our lives.
third way that we crush apathy is to remember the law. Malachi 4 verse 4 says this, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. When I read that, I had to ask myself, I wonder why God said this. Why did he point them back to the law? And I think it's because God knows when we become apathetic in our worship of God, that apathy is going to take us out of the word of God, out of the ways of God, out of God's best for us, and very often down a road of sin. And sometimes when we find ourselves in that road of sin, we, we, in our cleverness as people, try to redefine what sin really is. And God doesn't want that. He doesn't want that because he's pointing them back to an absolute. He's pointing them back to an unchangeable truth. He's pointing them back to an unchangeable standard. Why is he pointing them back to an unchangeable truth and standard? Because he knows that if that standard changes, mankind will not be able to recognize that they miss God's standard and need a savior. And so he defines what that sin is for us so that we will forever know I can't meet the standard, I need Jesus. And that's what God is saying to you today. You can't meet the standard. No good work is gonna get you to heaven. It's his standard. And he's wanting you to recognize today that that's an unchanging standard. We don't get to call the shots, he sets it. He sets it, and when he sets it, um, he wants us to walk in it. There might be some of us that have been entangled again by sin. It's possible, possible for us to be following Jesus, but in a season to allow sin to entangle us. And God doesn't want that to happen. And so if, in, if apathy has maybe led you as a believer into a place where you're entangled by sin again, what's the solution? It's the same solution as there's always been. We receive God's forgiveness. We see his love, we receive his forgiveness. But I do want to ask, is sin being defined by God for you, or is it being defined by you, others, or society? God wants you to be certain of what sin is and what sin isn't. So we've seen that we crush apathy when we, when we have a reverence or a fear for God, when we reflect on truth and when we remember the law. And lastly, we crush apathy when we repent. Crush apathy, apathy when we recognize that a lukewarm, apathetic uh, life of worship towards God is just not okay. It's just not okay. It's not befitting of somebody who has received so much from God to have a lukewarm response to him. And when I say that, I have not got this perfectly right over the years that I have known Jesus. So don't look at me and say, yeah, yeah, easy for you to say. No, I've got this wrong too. I'm just saying that what the Bible says today is that he doesn't want us to live in that place. He wants us to move out of it, and so we need to repent. And I want to take a moment just to speak to anybody who is, is listening online, sitting in the room and listening today. And maybe you place yourself in the camp of the evildoer or arrogant. You're not a follower of Jesus. You might not even use those terms. You might not define yourself exactly like that. But if somebody were to speak to you about God, you would say, yeah, I'm not so sure that the big man upstairs cares anything about me. I've never cared about him, and actually I'm not such a great person. I don't think he would care about me at all. Well, we've seen what Scripture says here, and I said earlier on that what we read is serious. 
you've read that God's judgment of the evildoer is a serious one. That's a consuming one. But that is not God's last word to you today. God's last word isn't, I want to, I want to condemn you and judge you. His word is, but before. But before. Malachi 4, verse 5 to 6 says this, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. See, before that day when Jesus will judge the evildoer, there's opportunity for that evildoer to be reconciled to God, to receive his love, to receive his forgiveness, to receive his salvation, to be rescued by God. And that's what this final verse of Malachi is pointing to. It's pointing to the day when Jesus will, 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 will come. God stops speaking at the end of Malachi for 400 years, and the next announcement says, my son is going to be born. My son is going to be born. Jesus is going to come. And this is what it says about why Jesus came in John 3, verse 16 to 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to what? Condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. His heart for you, just like for the Malachites, is I have loved you. And he's saying to you today that he sent his son so that you can be reconciled to God. He sent him for me and he sent him for you because you and I could not meet God's standard. Romans 3, verse 10 to 12, and verse 23 says this, It is written, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of, of God. And yet he sends his son to come because he loves us. Romans 5, verse 8 says, But God demonstrates or shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how can you be rescued today? How can you be saved, as the Bible puts it? Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, and verse 13 says this. You're saved if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Then you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today is your day of salvation. Today is your but before day. If you don't know Jesus, there's a but before. And the but before requires you to take a response. It requires you to take a decision to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Forgive me. God wants to do that for you this morning. That's what he's saying to those of us that might put ourselves in the camp of an evildoer. But if we are somebody that is a follower of Jesus and you slipped into apathy. Then today is the day to let go of that apathy. Today is the day to say, God, I'm not going to um, be content with this apathy anymore. I am going to reach out to you. I'm going to worship you. It's, a, it's about all my heart, soul, and spirit, all of my life. 
Why? Because God is still wanting to make a difference in the world through your life. He is wanting to fulfill the promises that he has given to you. He's not wanting you to lie on a, on, on, in a heap um, questioning who he is. He's wanting you to have courage in your heart and faith in your heart, but will you be patient enough to wait for God's best? Will you be patient enough to let God do what he wants to do in his timing? And in the meantime, trust him. Do what you know is good. Move into his word and let it be shaped by truth. Spend time speaking to people that are going to talk about the goodness of God and, and how he can be trusted. Somebody like Mar Marlene that has had a whole long, long life already and she's seen the goodness of God and many others in this room. We're going to sing a song. We're going to sing a song and it's the last song that we sang um, from earlier on. The best place for somebody who doesn't know Jesus or for somebody who has fallen into apathy to go to is to Calvary. To see what Jesus has done on the cross for you once again. To let that fire burn in your heart. Everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay in the end of the days. It might not be the side of eternity. It might not be perfect and it won't be perfect. But when we get to that day, everything that God has said will be fulfilled. Because he has provided fully for us. Did you hear that? He's provided fully for us. So let's stand. Uh, you might want to sing this out. You might want to just be a little bit more meditative, uh, whisper to God where he's spoken to your heart this morning. But let's uh, reach out to him as he reaches out to us.